So the big idea today is to abide in Jesus and you will bear much fruit. If you don't abide in Jesus, you won't bear fruit. If you abide in Jesus, your life will bear fruit in this way. You will love God. You will love others. You will become a disciple. And you will make a, make disciples. That's getting cold, right? I know you guys are trying to love me, but I saw a lot of cults going on. When I saw three cults going on, I said, let me, let me love the congregation here. So a funny thing happens when you get saved. All of a sudden, you're awakened to the reality that there is a God, that He has forgiven your sins. All of a sudden, your affections are changed where you want to worship God, you want to be part of the church community. But you're still a sinner. You have all these things in your life that still have to change. You have bad habits, you have wrong attitudes, you have sinful behavior, you have selfishness and envy and covetedness. And all these things are built into your life that once you accept Jesus, you don't wake up the next morning and you're just walking around like Jesus, perfect, sinless, loving everybody. It takes lifelong practice of being a Christian. <coughs> you guys have to forgive me, I'm a little under the weather today, so there might be a few coughs and a few sniffles. A lifelong process of being sanctified. So the big theological word is the process of sanctification. But God is making you more and more like Him every day. You're repenting of your sin. You're realizing that I don't look like Jesus in this area of my life. I'm not thinking like Jesus would in this area of my life. I'm not treating people like Jesus would in this area of my life. And what do we try to do sometimes? We try to we try to change on our own strength, right? I'm going to change. I'm going to become a disciplined person. And you set yourself a schedule for that week. And by Thursday, you're like, all right, I'm just going to be me. I'm happy with who I am. We try to change on our own strength, but that never works. We can only change when we abide in Jesus. And when he abides in us, that's the only way we can change so you guys know I like to tell stories, so I'm going to tell you a story. When I bought my house, I thought miraculously <coughs> I was going to become this phenomenal landscaper. Right? So I grew up in a townhouse where you didn't have to really take care of anything. The backyard was like 10 by 10, and so if you kept that clean, it was a big deal. And so I said, we're going to buy this house because the yard, I had this vision of the yard. I'd be walking down this path of stones that I've laid. Vines just growing on the side, a koi pond, I'm just tending the fish. And I had all this vision of what this um what this yard would look like. But guess what? I bought that house and we've been there about six or seven years and I looked out on my yard. It's embarrassing. I'm telling you, your pastor's yard is embarrassing. My wife is ashamed of me. I'm ashamed of myself. They say one thing as a bivocational pastor that suffers is your yard. But the truth is, if I wasn't a bivocational yard, my yard would still suffer. Because I hate yard work. I'd like to say I want to do it. And my wife looked me straight in the face and said, stop lying to yourself, basically. I'm paraphrasing. You wouldn't do yard work if you weren't a bivocational pastor. I say, you speak the truth right now. Thank you for your love. <clears throat> so, after I realized that I couldn't change this myself, I was going to wake up early, 
be out there, go through the weeds, prune all the branches, and just make this place beautiful. It wasn't happening. Every year I said, and I've had some good runs. You know, one time I got two Red Bulls, and I weeded out every part of the mulch on the front part. But I couldn't really make the whole thing look beautiful. I thought, like, okay, I'm going to get this little by little. My, mom, my yard looked a mess. I'm talking, like, branches coming over. Cliffy scolded me. I'm saying, leave me alone, Cliff. I'll clean my gutters, and I'll, I'll get my yard green at some point. And finally I broke down and said, I'm going to have to call a landscaper. I can't do this on my own. So I called the landscaper. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Number one, they left one guy there. This guy was a legend. Somehow these landscapers keep the same slow pace, but they get so much done. Dude, the guy, the owner dropped off one guy. He left him like three tools, and he just started cut, cutting one branch at a time. You know those things they got? One branch. One branch. Then they put on the leaf blower. Before you know it, three days later, my yard looked beautiful. I'm talking. This dude cut down about 30 branches. I just want to, if you need a number, let me know. I'll give you the next game. They gave me a great price. Um, he weeded out everything. He was kind about it. Just sweating and enjoying it. I just, it was an unbelievable thing to behold. And I said to myself, one thing is, I couldn't have done that myself. I said, I couldn't have done that. I needed help. I needed to call a landscaper. I needed someone else to do the work so my yard, so my future garden, so my fire pit that now has gravel in it. For all those people in my home group, we have gravel now. I needed someone else to do the work, and I had to call a landscaper. In the same way, so many times in our life, we try to change ourselves. We try to say, I, this year, I'm going to stop gossiping. This year, I'm going to start envying. This year, I'm going to be sexually moral. This is the year. And what happens? Next year, we say, I can't do it. Then another year goes by and we say, I can't do this. My yarn's still a mess. I'm looking inward, and I'm still a mess. But when we abide in Jesus... When we call the landscaper, things change because the Holy Spirit comes in and he tends to your garden. And he takes away things that need to be taken away. And he makes it beautiful. And he makes it productive. And he makes your life fruitful. Don't we all want to be more like Jesus? I mean, every person I ask, the, the big theme of all of us is, how can I be a better person? How can I be more godly? We all have the desire. The problem is sometimes life... Natural practice doesn't meet our desires. Today I want to tell you how you can meet your desire of becoming more like Jesus. And that's by abiding in Jesus. We all want to live fruitful lives, right? It's nothing worse when you look back at the past five years and say, what the heck did I do in my life? Anyone ever had those moments? I had that moment when I was 19 and said, I've wasted the last three years of my life. I have nothing to show from 16 to 19. Nothing. I just partied. I lived for myself. I wasted so much time and I said, what did I just do the last three years of my life? I didn't help anyone. I haven't become a better person. And if we're getting into Christian theology, I'm not more like Christ. I'm not becoming a disciple. I'm not making disciples. 
I don't want you guys from this day on to look back in 10 years and say, I don't look any different. Isn't that the worst feeling? I'm going to give you the medication today. That's to abide in Jesus. If you abide in Jesus, you will look back 10 years and say, what the heck happened to me? You'll be blown away. And I'm just being honest, because uh, you can only share from your personal experience, right? Me and Natalie had a talk. So I've been, I would consider myself saved. Uh, my affections were changed when I was 19. Actually, it's been 16 years. Wow. For about 16 years now. And I actually get a laugh. I, I laugh about who I was 16 years ago. And I say, how the heck did I become this person? And I was laughing because my buddies call me. And when my buddies call me from high school, I realize, wow, I'm a different dude. So my best friend called me from high school. And, you know, asked about a few things. And then I hang up that phone and I say, wow, I can't believe what God has done in my life. I can't believe who I am compared to who I was. Know why? Not because Joey Thompson is an awesome person. Because by God's grace, he's abiding in me. And I've abided in him. And when you abide in Jesus, you can't help but bear fruit in your life. You can't help but be happy about where Jesus has brought you. So please hear that today. I want you guys to be encouraged that Jesus abides in you. And as you abide in him, you are going to be changed. You are going to become more and more like Jesus. And you guys desire that. God's going to answer that prayer for you today. So let's turn to John 15. I'm just going to do five verses. Because when I try to do 25 verses, I walk out of here and say, what the heck did I just talk about? So John 15, let's start in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus is saying he is the true vine because... Israel was the de degenerate vine. Okay? Israel was chosen, chosen in the Old Testament to be a covenant people who God would work through, who God would bless the nations through, who people would look to them and learn how to worship God, learn how to be a community that loves God and loves others. They were supposed to be this beacon of light that if people were tied into Israel, they would bear fruit and they would change the world. Israel with God's plans for redemption in many ways. But as you read through the Old Testament, the symbol is the the symbol that's used for Israel is the vine. They are my vine. But the sad part is it's always referred to in severe punishment. Like this vine is being fruitless. This vine has turned to other gods. This vine has not obeyed me. Therefore they have bear Bore no fruit in the life. They're fruitless fine. They're useless. They do nothing. I have to take them away. I have to prune them. I have to discipline them. I have to cast them down. So Israel became this useless vine that was not testifying of a one holy God, but was testifying God's not good enough by their acts. Because they were turning to other gods. They were building idols and they were murdering each other and they were doing all these horrendous things. They were not testifying of God's grace and God's goodness like they were supposed to. So they were degenerate vine. And we know when Jesus got here, God's own covenant people crucified him. Now, you, I don't want to be too harsh on the Jews because the early church was built up of, built of Jewish converts, Peter, Paul. And so God did save a remnant. But a majority of the religious leaders who were Jewish, they murdered Jesus. They murdered God's only son. 
And so Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. No longer is Israel the vine. I am the true vine. If you're in me, then you will bear much fruit. Now do you have to abide in Jesus. And the beautiful part he says in the next verse, and my father is the vine dresser. So vine dresser could be understood as my father is the gardener. The Gospel of John constantly shows the oneness, the unity between the Father and the Son. Saying, Jesus is the vine, and God the Father is the gardener. What does a gardener do to a vine? He cares for it. He watches over it. In the same intimate relationship, God the Father was caring for Jesus, watching over Jesus, making sure his life bore much fruit. Have you guys ever been around a true gardener? Okay, I've been around one gardener, a.k.a. Grampy, Donna's father. One thing you learn about gardeners is they are the slowest people in the history of mankind. Okay? You cannot be a gardener and not be patient. You know? You need to, like, lay brick or something if you have no patience. Gardeners take their time. Grampy, when I was younger, and I go over to Donna's house on the weekends, he had this little garden... At his, I don't know if it was a family member or a friend's house, in the back they had this little spot for a garden, a bunch of Italians all living about this close, each neck in these houses, and they had these little gardens. So sometimes I'd go with Grampy and i walk next door. Number one, it'd take us 45 minutes to get next door, because he's that slow. <laughs> but we'd go into this little garden, and the way he tended these plants, you know, I mean, even when he got down, it was just, everything was a caress, you know what I mean? He'd prune it. He'd take care of it. And the joy he received when he pulled a vegetable from this garden was unspeakable. I mean, you bring it to the house, the house would felt like the house wanted to cheer. It'd go on the windowsill. It'd get a little more sun. Gardeners find so much joy in tending and caring for their garden and reaping fruits and vegetables from it. The same way God the Father found so much joy in the fruitfulness of Jesus' life. As he sat back and said, look at what my son's doing. Look at what my son's doing. Look at his life. He's being fruitful. He's laying it down for people. He's giving life to others. That same love he has and had for Jesus is the same love he has for you. He wants to tend to your garden. He wants to care for you so that your life bears much fruit. And this is what God the Father does. He watches over us to see who's bearing fruit and who's not bearing fruit. And when you're bearing fruit, He prunes you and He disciplines you so you bear more fruit. So this is what happens, I guess. You've got to prune something for it to bear more fruit. I haven't experienced this in my garden life. But my wife's told us, someone told us, told her that if we trim one of these bushes, I forget what it's called, yeah, whatever she just said, that it would bear, it doesn't bloom that much, but that's because we've got to prune it more. I'll get on that. So let's turn to verse 2. Every branch of mine, you see the specific role of God the Father. I want you guys to understand how God's watching over you as his God and as his people. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I was thinking about how to explain this first part to you. First I want to say, you see that God does care if you bear fruit in your life. 
God's not okay with you not using your gifts, not using your time, not using your energy, not using your resources to care for others, to be part of God's mission, to be part of God's church. He's not okay with that. So I just want to be clear on that. That's not something that God sits back and says, that's okay. In the same way that God says, it's not okay that, okay that this plant hasn't bore fruit in three years. I need to do something to change this. It's the next part that I want to be very sensitive and try to explain. It says, everyone who does not bear fruit, he takes away. That can be a scary verse, right? Say to myself, okay, if I'm someone who is not bearing fruit, God's going to take me away. He's going to declare me useless. What I don't want you to hear is, you can lose your salvation. I don't want you to hear that you are not secure in the gospel, that you are not secure in the work of Jesus Christ. What I do want you to hear is the severity of not bearing fruit and that God's not okay with that. So this is kind of the whole vine culture talk where if something doesn't bear fruit, it's taken away. So this verse is really there to show us how the one who takes care of the vine and watches over the vine is not all right when things don't bear fruit. You have to shape a vine. You have to care for it. You have to prune for it, to, for it to bear fruit. Or it will bear fruit, but it will be a tremendous amount of unproductive fruit. Fruit that can't be used for eating or just not good for anything. You have to care and watch over that vine. And Jesus is watching over you so that when you bear fruit, he'll prune you to bear more fruit. Do you realize that sometimes you hit a wall in your walk with Jesus? That he has to tear something out of your life and change you in an area for you to bear more fruit? And you can't go any further if you don't change in this area. You have to change in order to bear fruit. Or you only bear a certain amount of fruit, and then you'll be fruitless for the rest of your life. If you don't respond with repentance and change in response to God's love. So let me just share a few areas where I look back and I say, God, I stand here and I say, God's still sanctifying me. You're not seeing some perfect vessel. We all know that. I try to proclaim that every week. But a few areas that I've seen God sanctify me in that I had prayed for in the past. One, I was one of the laziest men you could ever meet in your life. When I was 19, when I was 19, I said, how the heck am I going to do this? I am so lazy. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I'm so lazy. How can I even accomplish anything in my life? I don't even think I can work a full-time job. I'm talking about being in the ministry and feeling confident. I can't even work a full-time job. I was that lazy. If I got up before noontime, I was like, man, I'm disciplined. This is getting serious out here. I was that lazy that I said, this is going to be a problem. If I want to be a Christian man, I cannot be lazy and serve God in this kingdom. I cannot be Christ-like and be lazy. I'm talking, I was like in desperation. I got down on my knees crying to God in my prayer time and said, you have to make me a hard worker because I am so prone to laziness. You know how some people are prone to different things? I'm so prone to laziness that I had to repent so ferociously about that. And God has changed me. I'm not saying I don't have moments that I fight that, but I will consider myself a hard worker now. I thought there was no hope for that. 
And I knew it was a problem. When God the Holy Spirit, day by day, it didn't happen overnight, guys. It didn't happen overnight. But day by day, year by year, God changed me. So now 16 years later, I can look back and say, you know what, I'm not a lazy man. I provide for my family. I care for my family. I work two jobs. And I'm not a good landscaper, but I'll call him real quick. But God has made me a hard worker because I abided in Jesus. Is abided a word? Sometimes my wife gives me a look. I've got to make sure my vocabulary is right up here. It's because I abided in Jesus that I was changed. Years of being part of the church, years of being part of community, years of prayer, years of being the word, years of learning the gospel, where I could stand here 16 years later and say, yes, I am hard, a hard worker because of what God has done in me. Because I knew that I couldn't do that on my own strength, and I had to run to him. The next thing, you want to meet an insecure person? I wish you could have met me in 1997. I couldn't even go to take out the garbage without my hair being perfectly slicked and getting a fade in West Lynn because they gave the best fades. I, I was all about my image. It was Everything was about my image. You want to talk about vain? I was so vain. And listen, I battle being vain still a little bit. Once in a while I go by a car window and I still look in it, repenting still. But I was so insecure. Everything was wrapped up in what people thought about me. And I had so many issues from being from a fatherless home, trying to find um, my identity and other things with people being pleased with me. Like So many issues. I was an emotional train wreck. That I said to myself, how am I going to do this? I can't be more Christ-like with all this emotional baggage I have and all this insecurity I have. I felt like I had to compete with everybody, right? If we taken off the trash, I was competing with you. How fast can I get down there? And that was to prove my identity. I had to compete with everyone to be better than them in people's eyes to find my security. And I had to cry out to God and year by year, day by day, little by little, I could say, listen, I find my identity in Jesus now in the gospel and the fact that I'm loved by a holy and compassionate God. And it's not about what I have done, it's about what he has done. And the peace that comes through that sanctification, and the verses we won't get to today, Jesus says, I'm telling you guys this so your joy may be full. You'll be, you will be incredibly unhappy when you find your security in other things other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's love towards you and how he cares for you every day and abides in you. The third thing I need to be sanctified is anxiety. Oh my goodness. I started having anxiety attacks. I, oh, in speaking in front of people, you guys have no idea. I'd rather die. You know when they did that statistic thing? Many people would rather die than speak in front of people. I was that guy. And all of a sudden I realized God was calling me to speak in front of people. I get up in front and my, my lip was like, I was like, felt like I was going to die. Like, I was like, I, once again, I guess I was a crier in my early 20s. I said, God, I can't do this. Please don't call me to be a preacher. This is a nightmare. Like, I'd have anxiety. The whole week, I couldn't function. I, I'd get way too much rest. I'd, I, I was a nightmare. I started getting anxiety around social situations because I wasn't in control. I started, oh my goodness, I can't deal with this. Like, I couldn't deal with anything I wasn't in control of, so it brought me anxiety. And I said, God, you've got to change me because I, I can't even go out in public unless you change me. I'm in trouble going to new restaurants. I'm going to be stuck at Harrington's for the rest of my life. 
I said, you've got to change me. I'm having anxiety attacks. And now what do I do? I speak in front of people for most of my life. I go to different restaurants. And I actually love people again. There was a time where part of my anxiety was rooted in. I stopped liking people. I want to be around people. I want to be around about three or four people that I like. That's it. My family and no one else. Because I said, it's too anxious. They're going to hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. Things are going to get dramatic. Things are going to get emotional. I don't want to be part of a church community because we're all messed up too. And I, I got so much anxiety about that. But guess what? The love of God came in. And he abided in me and I abided in him. And he's changed me. So I say these things to encourage you because we all have our own things that we battle, that the Lord's trying to, He's trying to purify us and change us to be more like Christ so we can serve God in His mission and, and find joy in Him and be disciples and make disciples. So you go to a new level when you're not only just being a disciple, but people can look to you and learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. And not only the pastor makes disciples, we all should be disciples who are making disciples. There should be someone in our life where we're sharing our struggles with. We're saying how Jesus came in and changed us. And you're caring for them and you're loving them and you're keeping them accountable. That's what God does when you become fruitful in the kingdom of God and fruitful in this life. Let's read on. Already you are clean in verse 3 because of the word that I have spoken to you. This verse is so important because... You've got to understand, Jesus, some preachers would get up here and say, Jesus was preaching this so you'd leave here in condemnation. You'd be scared of God pruning and taking away. This is not why Jesus is sharing this with his disciples. He's sharing and teaching them this so they would leave confident, confident and confident that he would finish the work in them. He's saying, you're already clean. He's speaking from a finished work standpoint. I'm already going to do the work. I've already chosen you. I've already chosen you to bear fruit. Be confident that I'm going to watch over you as a careful gardener, and I'm going to make your life fruitful. The worst thing is when preachers get here and say, you're fruitless, go home and change, and don't come back till you're changed. Once, we'll never see you again. Number two, that's not how God works. People change because the work has already been finished. People change because of what Jesus has done. Not what they have to do to be fruitful. Jesus is saying, you're already clean. This is why I'm speaking this to you. You change when you realize the deep, miraculous love that God has and had for you by sending his son Jesus to take your place on the cross. That's when you change. Not when you go home and decide to change. When you meditate on the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That changes you. When you're around the gospel, when you're around the people of God, you change. What do we not want for our kids? We don't want them hanging around with bad people because they, we don't want them to be influenced in the wrong ways, right? I don't want to hang around with those kids. Every time they get with that crowd, they go in the wrong direction. Why? Because when you hang around certain things and certain people, you can't help but be changed. They're not telling you make a decision to change. You're just changing because you're around them, right? They do bad things, you bad do bad things. Their culture accepts this, all of a sudden you accept it. It's the same thing with the gospel, and the same thing with the people of God. When you're around the gospel, when you hear the gospel, when you're worshiping Jesus because of the gospel, when you're studying the gospel, you can't help but be changed because you're abiding in Jesus. When you're around the people of God, people who are seeking Jesus and seeking to follow his word, word and glorify him, you can't help but be different. 
He's saying you're already clean because the work has been finished. And four, he gets to give them instruction on how to be changed. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's important that we see both abidings there. Because I didn't catch this when I used to read this verse when I was younger. I knew that Jesus was saying, abide in me. Right? So I thought, oh my goodness, i got to abide in Jesus. I'm scared. I don't know if I can do it. But then he says, and I'll abide in you. How comforting that must have been to the disciples. Listen, <clears throat> I'm not telling you to do this on your own. I'm going to abide in you. The one and only Son of God. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to cause you to bear much fruit. What did Jesus say? He'll complete the work that he started in you. I want you guys to leave with confidence because God the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, is abiding in you. And he's going to change you to bear more fruit as you abide in him. And it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 5. Unless you abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's big contrast here. What does Jesus tell us in Philippians? We love that verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with God. So we know that be truth. But there's the other side to that. You can do nothing apart from God. You can bear no lasting fruit, eternal fruit, fruit that matters unless you are in the vine, unless you are in Jesus. Have you ever seen a branch that's broken off from a tree? How would you define it? Useless. Like this verse goes on to say, only thing it's good for is thrown in the fire. And you get a good fire pit going with the branches. Or you're going to have to pay money like me for someone to take the branches away. It's useless. It has no light. It can bear no fruit. It has no leaves. It's not even beautiful. That's what we are like when we don't abide in Jesus. When you abide in Jesus, you bear much fruit in your life. Now, how do you abide in Jesus? I would say it would be preserving your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we all preserve our relationships in our life to a degree, right? If you're in a relationship with someone, if you're married, you have date nights, you have times you watch movies, you have times you have conversation, you're God in that relationship. And when you guard that relationship and you watch over that relationship, that relationship bears fruit to love and it brings joy and it brings happiness and it glorifies God. In the same way, when you abide in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to bring fruit in your life. When your prayer life is healthy, you bear fruit. When you are getting in that word, both by yourself and with community as we do in home groups, you start to bear fruit. When you're rehearsing the gospel daily, you bear fruit. When you're not doing those things, you're trying to operate outside the vine and all of a sudden you'll look back a month and say, what have I been doing for a month? I haven't prayed. I haven't opened the Bible. I haven't been to home group. I haven't rehearsed the gospel. What have I been doing? 
a month or a day or a week or a year that you don't abide in Jesus, preserving your relationship with Jesus, is a wasted, fruitless year, day, month for you. So as your pastor, you have to guard that relationship. You've got to preserve that relationship. You've got to abide in Jesus. Because when you abide in Jesus, one of the things we should be to the world is beautiful. So, you ever see a really beautiful tree? I'm talking like, Joffrey used to boast about this tree down on the Wayfair Lake. I had to listen to him every time we walked around the lake. He said, this tree is unbelievable. It was the biggest tree. It looked like someone every day just went up and trimmed it. People would just walk by and specifically Joffrey would speak, proclaim the good news of this tree. How beautiful it was to behold. The same way when your life is in Jesus and people look to you and they see your life and see that it's bearing fruit. They see that you're happy because you're following Jesus. They see that you're serving others and laying down your life for others and giving yourself to the church and use your talents to glorify God. They say, wow, that's beautiful. And they want that. People want fruitful lives deep down. They want lives that glorify God deep down. They want lives that matter, that leave lasting and eternal fruit. And when you stay in the vine, people are going to look at you and say, wow, their life is bringing glory to God. So let's get into the application portion here. Abide in Jesus, like I said. Preserve your walk, because when you don't rehearse the gospel, things get in. If you don't rehearse the gospel, Satan, your own sinful nature is going to remind you of how you were 10 years ago and all the mistakes you made and all the sins you committed and how you hurt people and how you were nothing like Jesus. But when you rehearse the gospel, you realize that now you stand right with God. Condemnation is one of the devil's greatest ways for us to be fruitless. You can find yourself sitting in condemnation every day, every week, and say, you know what, I am a sinner. No matter what, I am worth nothing. And you live in condemnation because you say, I'm not worthy. And when you rehearse the gospel, you say, I'm worthy because of what Jesus has done. This is so important. Some of us battle condemnation so bad and we won't even admit it because of our sins, because of our failures, because of our past. How many people can't go forward in their life because they are so condemned by their past? I want to encourage you today, you don't have to live in your past because of what Jesus has done. He has finished the work. You can be fruitful from this day on. Secondly, live a life of repentance. Repentance needs to be part of your life as a Christian. If you've gone like a couple months without repenting, I don't think you're looking at stuff, right? Because <laughs> you look close enough, there's a lot to repent of. Attitudes, behaviors, how you treat others, how you respond to God, how you care for God in His church and His mission. There's a lot of things to repent about. And I don't say that so you feel bad. Go home, feel bad about yourself, repent. Because that brings fruit. When you repent, God changes you. I'm talking godly repentance. Not the kind when you feel bad yourself and you repent. I'm sorry that I was mean at the, I was mad at that other person because they were so mean to me. No. I'm sorry that I'm a grave sinner. I'm sorry that I gossip and I 
I talk about people like that and I accuse people like that and I'm envious and I'm not thankful for my life. How many of us sin in that? Everyone else's life is always better than ours. And we always need more to be happy. We live in this materialistic society. Once I get that SUV, I'll be happy. Once I have this, I'll be happy. Once I have the 52-inch, oh, they have nice TVs. Once I get that, I'll be happy. Once I got three vacations, then I'm happy. How many of us are not grateful what God has given us today? And we need to repent about that. Instead of looking at what we don't have, look at what you do have. There's so much. And I just say all those things because people think they should just repent when they murder someone. <laughs> murder someone. Go, go do some repentance. <laughs> no, man. You've got to repent because of your thoughts, your attitudes, and your actions every day but towards God and towards image bearers of God. And there's much joy in that. God will change a repentant person who truly has godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's why David said, Lord, change me that I may teach sinners your way. Wait, so he was saying, change me so not only I can be changed and more like you and help lead people to joy in you. In order to bear fruit in your life, you have to know your gift and your capacity. What are you gifted in and what's your capacity? Some people think they are way more gifted than they are. How many young men I meet that say, I'm, I'm going to be a church planner. I say, dude, you... You can't even, like, take care of your car. You know, like, you're not even at, you get tired. You have, I don't want to get too specific. But people have this epidemic where they think they are so much more gifted than they are. That their capacity is so much. I had to say to myself, I'm not as gifted as I think I am. That was tough for me. That was tough, man. I thought I was God's gifted church. I really did. And I had to sit down in a room, look at the other pastors at Seven Mile Road and say, how am I gifted and what's my capacity? I want details because I don't want to waste my life trying to be something that I'm not. And they told me it was tremendously helpful and it confirmed some of the stuff that I um, already knew and it helped me shape stuff that maybe I thought I was more gifted than I was in certain areas. You need, have you sat down with someone in your life or people who love you in the church and said, where am I gifted and how can I serve? Me and Dave were talking about this earlier. Um, everyone wants to be the shortstop, right? Everyone thinks they're the shortstop. When I coach a softball team, which I will never do again because I hurt way too many people coaching softball. I was way too competitive. I took it way too serious and definitely an idol. People still don't talk to me because of softball. One dude told me, just tell you the side I got real serious in softball. He looked at me. He was playing right field. Joe knows his story. And he said, if I don't lay out for a ball, you tell me, you get on me. He didn't lay out for a ball. I got on him. He don't like me. His mother-in-law don't like me. His wife don't like me. I needed to repent. There's no doubt about it. But I don't even know where I'm going, but he wanted to be a shortstop. <laughs> Some people want to be the shortstop when they're at third base. That's what me and Dave are talking about. And if there's not a coach, if there's not people around you that tell you how you're gifted, you're always going to be try to be the shortstop and bat forth. You know what I mean? And you're not going to be productive because everything's going to go down the third base line. You need a third baseman. Some people are called to be church planners. Some people are called to be deacons. Some people are called to be 
executive pastors. Some people are called to be tremendously healthy members. Some people are called evangelists. Some people are gifted in mercies. Everyone is gifted differently. You need to find your gifting and capacity and not think that God loves you any less if you're not called to be the next Billy Grand or Apostle Paul. God, that that's the biggest lie. Know why we want to be the shortstop. Know why we want to be the Apostle Paul. Know why we want to be Billy Grand because we think we'll be more loved. We think God will love us more and people will love us more for that. The most joy you will find is when you become who God made you to be and you know your capacity. Some people think fences are a bad thing. Fences are a great thing. They keep things out and they help you to know how far you can go and what's yours and what you should tend and what you should care for and what you should cause to be fruitful. Know the fences in your life. Know your own boundaries. Know your giftings and you will find much joy in this life. Come to the pastors. We need to be talking about this. We just had our first members meeting. Laura, I have a covenant for you. You're still an official first member. Just because you're on vacation, we ain't knocking you out. We had 19 people who committed to be members at Restoration Road. That gets me excited. I was only hoping for 15. And so we have um, 17 who were there. And we had two that um, are still members, but they either had a work or on vacation. So 19 people are committed to seeing this church be healthy and see it be fruitful and see it flourish. One other thing we want to do as pastors is let's sit down and talk about what your giftings are. Let's sit down and talk about how you can flourish because know what happens when you get in a place that you're not gifted? You set up the field and all of a sudden you have no joy and all of a sudden you, you it's not fruitful. One of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is the garden is made up of a bunch of different flowers, plants, trees, and vines and they all bring glory to God when they work in unison and they become who they're supposed to be. And finally, I want you guys to leave here with this encouragement. Don't leave here and say, I'm never going to change. I've been trying to change for 10 years and I'm not going to change. You are going to change because Jesus is watching over you, because God the Father is watching over you, and because He is the gardener and He's abiding you and abide in Him that you might bear much fruit in your life that looks like you looking more like Jesus you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You loving others, including your enemies. You becoming a disciple, and you making disciples. Amen.